Because you don't need lights, fog machines, and 20 musicians behind you to make the anointing come. It's just, it, it's phenomenal. And we are so honored to have you, you with us as a part of our body. I mean, honestly. So I wanted to actually tell you a joke um, before I got started, because I, I really like this joke. This, this guy had to work late one night. He's coming home, and on his normal route home, he got detoured. And he's taking an unknown street, and he comes across this car that's broken down. And the hood's up, but no one's there. And as he keeps driving, he sees this person walking along the road. And he starts thinking, you know, should I pick him up? I don't pick up hitchhikers. Should I do this? Maybe it's that person. What do I do? The whole dilemma. Finally, he decides to pull the car over. Asks the guy, do you need a ride? Yes, he needs a ride. So he comes in the car, and as he's driving along, the, the guy's just saying some odd things. Just a little suspicion is growing. And so finally, the driver reaches down to his jacket and doesn't feel his wallet. And at that point, he slams on the brake, screams, get out, get out, get out, get out, give me the wallet. And the hitchhiker gives the wallet, and he's just shaking, and he peels off and drives. He calls his wife, because you're not going to believe what just happened. I, I picked up a hitchhiker. She goes, wait, wait, before I tell you any, anything else, she goes, I just wanted you to know, you left your wallet here on the dresser. Now, things happen in life that, that we can't always give an account for. You know, you may be hitchhiking and everything's going along the ride, and then all of a sudden a guy yells, and you think you're getting mugged. So, now for the serious side. Can we put up the first slide? I, I came across this slide this week, this statement from C.S. Lewis. And I'll, I just want you to look at it for a minute. It says, isn't it funny how day by day nothing changes? But when you look back, everything is different. And I really related to this because I remember when our kids were little, I felt like I was changing diapers forever. So all I felt like I did was buy diapers, change diapers, change diapers, change diapers. And now I look back and they're taller than I am. Sometimes in my walk with God, I feel like nothing's changing, nothing's changing, nothing's changing. And all of a sudden I look back and we're not where we were. Sometimes just the day by day happens so slowly that we don't notice the change. So I want to talk to you today about taking back what the enemy has stolen. Now there's a popular show on, and I've, I've actually never watched the show, but it's called CSI. I know they got CSI Miami and CSI Los Angeles and Las Vegas, but it's a crime show. And it figures out who did what and how it was done. And I thought, you know what, let's talk about, if we're going to talk about having things stolen, who did it, why it happened, and how we can fight that. You see, because we need to look at what's been stolen from us. What has the enemy taken from us? See, we live in a society where we, we lock our cars, we lock our homes, we lock our computer files, right? I mean, all of this. We, we protect our identity. We're very cautious when somebody calls us and, and, we, and they're saying, well, can we get your address? Why do you need our I mean, we were just very protective. But if you think back just a generation ago, I was talking with my dad and, and he said, you know, we never locked the doors of our house. Um, you know where you found your car keys? They were in the car. That was the best place for them, so they wouldn't get lost. And I'm thinking how quickly, just within one generation, we've gone from the, the openness and the freeness of, of just trusting to now protecting. Protecting our identity, protecting what anybody's trying to steal. Um, why did that 
why did that person hold my credit card that much longer? Everything we've gotten into a mental state of protection, okay? And it used to be that we had a lot of trust. But I'm going to tell you, the more that we separate God from our society, the more that we separate God out of the schools, and the more that we remove Him, and the big thing that's been happening down uh, with the plaque at the elementary school, because it says, in the year of our Lord God, and now they want that removed. The more, and, and I preach this every week, but the more that that separation is happening, the more we're getting into the me, my, my mindset. Protecting. What do you want? Why do you want it? We find that when we even go out evangelizing, we're handing out free water, somebody wants to know why. Because nothing's free anymore. Everybody has a cause. When we just say, hey, we just want to pray with you. Why? What an odd question. Because I believe that God can change your life. That's why. You see, we've gotten into that mindset of what does somebody want? We live with that mental state. But I don't want to focus today on the physical realm. I really want to talk about the spiritual realm. Because Satan is in the business of ripping us off. He steals things that don't belong to him. I'd like to share with you John 10.10, which is a scripture most of you know. And it says, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now I'm going to give you the overt and invert translation of Greek, Hebrew, Spanish, Portuguese, African, Spanish, and Anglo. God is good. Satan is bad. Ponder that for a second. God is life. Satan is death. If it's good, it's from God. If it's bad, it's from Satan. That, that's what this scripture's saying. I mean, it, you don't have to be like, well, you know, if we rearrange the letters, it's still going to say, God is good, Satan is bad. Because I can tell you that from my experiences. Anything good comes from the Father above. God spoke life. God created life. Satan wants to steal life. Satan wants to steal things from us. But Satan doesn't need your automobile. Satan doesn't need your credit card. Some of his minions will do evil things with it, but Satan doesn't care about that because Satan wants something that's more eternal. And you know what that eternal thing is? You, your soul. That's why you see very untalented people at the top of the charts because they've sold their soul for popularity. They've sold their, their, all their creativeness to Satan so, and they bow at the throne of Satan so that they can have that fame and that popularity and they're, they're mentioned and they're tweeted more than anyone else and, and they're at the top of the, the, their game. And they've sold themselves completely because all Satan wants is your soul. He doesn't care what it takes, what candy he has to offer you to get you into that. He only wants you. And you have to realize that, that every day he comes after you. Remember we talked about samples? Man, that thing has run through my mind so many times. I see things and I say, that's a sample. I'm not going to taste it. And I mean, there's like little red lights that are going off on me. You're saying, you've got to be kidding me. No, it really is affecting me because I can see that sample of sin. I'm not going to go there. And that should be going off on your mind the moment sam samples of sin come in. No, 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 no. Because what I sample today, I desire tomorrow. Remember that? So we have to say no. Satan wants things of value. Satan wants things like our purpose in life. You see, 
about two, maybe three weeks ago, we lost a very funny comedian movie actor. Robin Williams was very humorous. I remember back, it was late 70s when he came in with Mork and Mindy. Creativeness that we had never seen, energy that we had never seen. But as we learned more about his life after his passing, he'd been through three marriages, drug addictions, alcohol addictions, meaningless relationships, but he had no purpose in life. And in the end, he hung himself because he felt like life was not worth continuing. And it just goes to show that you can have everything that this world has to offer. You can be known and walk into any restaurant and get a table when everyone else would be sold out. You could probably have gotten on any talk show that you wanted to be interviewed on. He probably could have gotten pretty much any movie part, but he was unhappy. Because you know what? His marriages wasn't filling that joy. The fame and popularity wasn't filling the joy. His money was not filling his joy. God created us that we would get his, our fulfillment in him. And when we tried to substitute that with anything else, it's never going to be enough. Never going to be enough. If I invited you over for dinner and all that we served you were those little muffins that you saw in the back there, after even about 20 of them, you're going to be thinking, is there a little bit more than this? Because I'm kind of hungry and 20 muffins, you know, isn't really going to fill it. But are we trying to fill ourselves with the little appetizers of this world and we never wait for the main course? And God is that main course. God wants us to be fulfilled on Him. There's things that we lose that Satan may try to steal. And there's about three or four of them I'd like to go with. First, the loss of our first love. Man, when we first meet Jesus, <laughs> we're so on fire. We're so zealous. We think about God all the time. We spend time in the Word. We stay up all night just going through the Word. We're hearing about a, a prayer meeting that's taking place in Midlothian, and we'll drive down there, even though we've never been there, because we know that some believers are down there praying all night, and we want to be with them. And then things just kind of slow down. See, when we were first in love with Christ, people noticed the difference in our lives. They noticed the, the, the joy and the peace. They noticed the hunger that we have and the way we share. Some of the best evangelism is by brand new believers who don't know enough to say, I can't tell you that. They're just saying, I need to tell you about what God's done in my life. And those people convert other people. But what happens then is we get busy. Now we still love God. We, we still, God's still number one in our life, but we're, we're busy and we have responsibilities, Pastor Mark. I got a business to run, I got a family, I got this, I got bills to pay. I just can't run down to Midlothian to, to pray all night because something's happening. But are we replacing our love with God for other things? When we used to be first at church, now if the weather's good, you know, I went last week, and I can watch something on TV. That's just as good. And there are great television t preachers out there. But why do we have a meet and greet right in the middle of the service? So that somebody can hug your neck. Somebody can encourage you to go onto YouTube and do something. Somebody can say, you know, we're going to really miss you, Kathy, when you're in Mexico. We need that because we're built for relationships. 
and the more that Satan can isolate you, the more that he can separate you from the body of Christ. Yes, you can live off TV ministries, but it's almost muffins. They're there and they're filling. You need, we need each other. And that's why even small churches are beautiful because we notice when you're not here. You could be attending one of the large, and there's nothing wrong with large churches, but it's very easy to hide in a large church. You can go undercover, be there for six, eight months, and then they don't even realize you weren't there. Man, six, six, seven times, I'm going to start calling and saying, hey, I've been missing you. That's why we are the body of Christ. Some people might say, well, you know, Pastor, I still love Jesus. I just don't feel as energetic. Maybe you're just going through the actions today of loving God. Maybe it's just going through the motions, but the real love is not there. Maybe you didn't even realize that you've been in that state, and that's because Satan has so gently removed the passion of your first love from you. Revelation 2, verses 4 and 5 says this, But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do, not, and do the deeds you did at first, or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Matthew 5, uh, 15, verse 8 says, This people draws near to me with their mouth and honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. James 4, 8 says, Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. Your loyalty is divided between God and the world. You want me to divide this one up in the invert, expert, Anglo-Saxon? It's just saying you can't love God in this world. There's no blending. Well, I'm going to give God 99%, but I really love that. No, he's saying love God. God should always be your first priority. Not this world, not the things of this world. Not the conveniences of this world, because this stuff that you see now is temporary. It's not eternal. God is eternal. And one day, when we're standing before God, we're going to realize that a lot of the things that we worried about were not worth being worried about. We're going to realize that the things that we put most of our life and time in, remember the old saying, you, you climb the company ladder, and then you'll realize the ladder was on the wrong wall. Okay? That's what we do sometimes. We put all of our energy on things that don't matter for anything, and yet we're not doing anything for the kingdom of God. I want to share with you last night as I was just kind of preparing, bless you, I was in my room, and I was listening to this radio show, and they uh, would play a few songs, and they'd interview somebody, and they interviewed this woman who um, had, uh, well, her whole thing was called a sock run, and that caught my attention. Who wants to run in their socks, right? What this woman has done with her family is that she has bought several pairs of brand new socks. And anytime they see homeless people, they go out and they start handing out socks to homeless people. What happened is her kids started coming home from school saying, Mom, I had a really bad day at school today. Can we go do a sock run? She'd say, sure. And they would jump in the car, they would drive down to an area, and they'd start handing out socks. And what she said really struck me. She said, when you take your focus off of yourself and onto others, you realize what God wants to do in your life. We get so focused on ourselves that when we at least go and hand out water bottles on a Thursday night, 
or we hand out socks to the homeless, or at least we just go and we just say, hey, we just want to let you know we're praying for you. We're taking the focus off of ourselves and we're putting the focus on others, which is where our focus should always be. But we tend to take the focus onto ourselves. God, let me tell you all the things I need prayer for this week. Let me tell you all the reasons why you haven't done what I expected you to do. Let me tell you how you should make things better in this world. And those are pretty serious prayers when you're telling God how he should be running things. Why don't we take the focus off of ourselves and onto others? Even if you say, well, you know what? I don't, I don't do well at public speaking. I couldn't go stand on a street corner and yell at cars. Neither can I. But you know what? There's retirement homes with lonely people that we could get permission to go in and talk to. And those people might be meeting Jesus a little bit sooner than you and I will. Be. But how much of our time to invest and show our kids it's not about us, it's about us being Christ to others. And going in and taking just time out of our busy schedules. Getting that passion, that first love. Saying, God, this is what it's all about. This is what it's all about. I'm building my life back around you and not around me. Man, did you just grasp that? We're building our lives around ourselves and not around Christ. And when we build it around ourselves, we have every excuse why we can't do something for someone else. I just want you to know, as born-again believers, there is no retirement plan. <laughs> you don't hit a certain age and say, okay, now I'm just going to coast on to heaven. Because I'll tell you what, if God gives me 90-plus years in this earth, I want to be serving him. I want to be doing something. I may be the person in the retirement home witnessing to the nurses. But that's what I want to be doing. I want to always be pouring into other people's lives. Second point, what about our joy? Has Satan stole our joy? our positive outlook on life. Because according to Nehemiah 8.10, it says, the joy of the Lord is the source of our strength. Man, the joy of the Lord is the source of our strength. So what this is saying is joy is not an emotion. Joy is a tool. Joy is a tool. It is a weapon that you can use to fight. You see, if you just see it as an emotion like, oh, hey, I feel real joyful today. No. Joy is what you're passionate about. If you want to see joy and passion about Ask someone to see a picture of their child on their phone. Oh, hey, I just happen to have a bunch of them, right? Why? Because they're joyful about their child. Anything you're joyful about, you're going to share. Okay? This is not rocket science, okay? I found a restaurant that I really like, and I told everybody, and we went there one Sunday, remember? And we had some really good chicken. Why? Because I was like, you got a good taste this chicken. I was joyful of, I know y'all are, you say, don't mention food during the service. But you get joyful about something, you share with others. How many of y'all want to hear all the bad restaurants I went to this week? Not one of you. How many of y'all like to say, I found the most phenomenal place to get chicken fried steak in your life. And it'll just cut with a fork and you'll, it butters and it's free and it's this and it's that. And you'll be like, you get free dessert and they just sing the whole time. I'd like to, I'd, I'd like to know where that is. Especially you mentioned the free part. I'd like to know where that is. You see, people want to hear what you're joyful about, not what you're negative about. And we tend to have a lot more negative in our life that we want to share with people instead of what we're joyful about. 
What Christ has done in my life, I should be joyful about. That Christ healed my body, I should be joyful about. That God has kept me in peace when everything else is turning apart, I should be joyful about. And that's what I should be sharing with others. But Satan will try to steal your joy through pressure, through situations, through just people. Let me tell you, people can be the biggest joy stealers in your life. And you know, some of you are thinking about somebody right now, but they will try to steal your joy. And Satan is using them to get at you because they know how to push your buttons. And they know how to steal your joy. And he realizes that if he can steal your joy, he's just taking you out of any potential danger you may have of sharing Christ with someone else. He's taking your gun. What good is a soldier without a gun? If everybody else has guns, you're like, I'm going to get a rock. I'm just gonna throw. No, 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 no. You don't show up. Remember the old saying, don't show up to a, 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 a gunfight with a knife? Mm-mm. I need my joy because the joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. If you're tired, the joy of the Lord is your strength. If you're depressed, the joy of the Lord is your strength. If you're confused, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And that's what we need to be focusing on. Has our joy been stolen? Man, I didn't even know I, I, I didn't have my joy with me. Because a pickpocket will steal so subtly that you won't know that it's gone until you need it. Right? I mean, they're, they're good. They, with a subtle bump, they got your underwear. You're like, how did you do that? I mean, I see these people on TV, they bump, and then all of a sudden I'm like, how did you, no, literally, how did you do that? Yeah, that's my underwear. I like it back. They're that good. Satan is that good. He's just bumping you and stealing and you don't understand that you've been stolen from. And you're like, wait a minute. Now I'm mad. Satan did that. But we have a cure for all of this. What about our faith? Have you slowly replaced your faith with fear? See Mark 4.39. Mark's a great book from Bible, by the way. Mark 4, 39, 40 said, And he got up and rebuked the wind and, the, and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down. By the way, I've said those exact same words to storms that they've said are coming into Arlington. I've stood at my back door and I've spoken to a tornado that's coming towards our house. You can do what Christ has done in the Word of God. And I said, There will be no harm or danger coming to this metroplex. You can thank me for hailstorms that didn't come because I'm out there praying for you, okay? But you can also go out there and pray over your neighborhood. That's why God puts you where you are so you can say, no, it's not going to come and destroy this city. Okay, never mind. Now, and the wind died down and it became perfectly uh, calm in verse 40. And he said to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? I'm going to break this down, Hebrew... Portuguese, everything. Disciples, Jesus. The disciples wanted to bring Jesus down to fear. Jesus wanted to bring the disciples up to faith. Very simple. How many times do we want to bring Jesus down to our fears? God, if you don't know what they're trying to... God, let me tell you what they're doing to me at my work. 
God knows what's happening at your work. But are you trying to bring him down to your fears, or are you going to start speaking to his faith? Father, your word says, Father, your word says, it is written, God. That's where we need to be in our walk, because how many times are we trying to bring God down into our fear and our depression when he wants to bring us up to his level? Are we still praying with expectancy? You see, when you give up with expectancy, you've given up on your faith. There may have been something that you've been praying about for many, many, many years, and you just kind of gave up on it. And that's exactly what Satan wanted you to do. Because if he can steal your faith, he's stolen your power. Expectancy is very powerful in the life of a believer. I would rather be a fool for God than a fool for anyone else. And I'd rather have that expectancy that I'm standing on my back porch and I'm speaking to a storm that's bringing hail and destruction than everyone else that's in cowering in front of the TV. Because what I'm doing is I'm exercising my faith. I know who can control that. And in every situation, we need to be the ones standing out speaking to Satan, rebuking him from what he's about to do in our families, what he's about to do in our lives, what he's about to do in our homes, what he's about to do in our cities, what he's doing in our communities what he's doing in abortion clinics. These are things that we need to be standing and speaking to. But if he can steal our faith, he's stolen our power. Here's a truth that we need to believe and seize upon. Because God recovers stolen property. God recovers stolen property. I'm going to say it again. God recovers stolen property. Well, pastor, could you give me an example? love to. Genesis 14 verses 14 and 16. When Abraham heard that his nephew had been captured, okay, he checked Facebook, found out something bad happened, and it made him mad. And it's okay to get mad when you've been stolen from. He armed his 318 trained men born in his own household. Did you notice that they were trained men? Think about this. They were preparing for always protecting. We need to always be prepared. We need to have the word of God in our hearts. We need to be ready to go that when someone calls and says, I need your prayers, I'm not like, ooh, um, okay. Um, in the beginning, God created, no, no, that's not so. See, you need to have the word of God in you. That when this happens and somebody says, hey, I need you to be one of my 318 men, we're going. It's go time. I don't need prep. Give me, give me six weeks, Dino, and I'll have a word for you. Dino doesn't want to wait six weeks. He wants it to go now. All right? So he gets his, he, he gets his eight, and says, born in his own household and pursued the four kings all the way to Dan. He split up his men to attack them at night. He defeated, he kicked their butts. Okay, that's what he did, all right? I'm just going to give you the mark phrase on this. Pursuing them all the way to Hoboth, which is north of Damascus. They were kicking and running the whole time. They messed with the wrong family. Do you get this? You can mess with other families, but you're not going to mess with my family because I'm going to go after you, and I'm going to kick your butt all the way as you're running and giving back. This is my interpretation. And he brought back everything they had. They brought back everything they had. 
including women and soldiers. There's probably extras. Hey, this isn't even my kid, but all right, come on. All right? They got extras, okay? Is this your kid? I don't know, but you take them, okay. He also brought back his relative Lot and his possessions. So why am I telling you this? Because the moment that Abraham got up and decided that that was too far, that was too much, he went after and recovered what had been stolen. He took back what the enemy had stolen. We need to wake up and say, wait a minute. I am tired of our household running this way. I am tired of feeling this way. I am tired of dealing with lack. I am tired of not having joy. I am tired of not being the head and not the tail. Lately, I've been feeling more like the tail than you've been stolen from because all of the promises are yes and amen in God's word. And it's about time that you stand up and say, you know what, I'm taking it back, Satan. My last point is, what about our health? You remember that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. God is a healing God. Miracles do happen. I am a miracle. Miracles do happen, and they're available for you and me. Psalms 103, verses 2 and 3 says, Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all, all of your diseases. Now, if there would have been the word some there, then that would have been scary. All of our diseases. That means there is no disease out there that is greater than God. What that's also telling me is that spirit-filled believers have been given the authority of God to lay hands on others and to expect them to be healed. James 5, verses 14 and 15 says, Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven. Now I want to tell you the reason why sometimes prayers do not work is because they expect your prayer of faith to work for them. They need to come into agreement with your word of faith. They need to have that faith that that prayer is going to work. Sometimes I've prayed with people and I thought that I'm praying for this wooden table. They're just staring. I'm like, are you even listening to the words? Is there any agreement? Hello? And then when it doesn't happen, well, see, I told you it wasn't going to happen. Because they had no faith. That's why we take time out and we pray back there. Because when you come and ask for prayer, we want to join our faith with your faith, and we want to present it to God. We believe in healing in this church. We believe that there is nothing that's impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. But we limit Him when we decide, well, that's just not worth praying about. Or that's just what God, that's what God wants me to deal with. No. God does not want you to deal with that. Satan wants you to deal with it. Remember the very first scripture? God is good. Satan is bad. Put it in one of those two folders, and then you're going to know where the source comes from. Oh, but we need a third. No, you don't need a third folder. God is good. Satan is bad. And when you realize that you've been ripped off, it was Satan who has stolen that from you. Satan has been constantly weaseling at you, trying to get you to sample things and others around you to destroy your life. The prayer of faith has to be prayed into agreement. We need to stand on God's word. 
we need to speak the name of Jesus. When we speak the name of Jesus, I want you to know that Satan trembles. Now, we don't see that happening in the physical. But a few things happened the other day, uh, about two weeks ago, that, that Jerry was having to deal with in the sound. We were picking up a Mexican radio station on one of the speakers, weren't we, Jerry? And just at the right time, we were hoping that they'd go, score! You know what I mean? That would have been perfect timing, but we can't deal with that. Now you say, well, I didn't see the radio waves, so they weren't here, Pastor. Well, bless your heart. We could hear them. Just because you can't see them doesn't mean that they're not here. So, Pastor, you know, you saying every time we say Jesus, I don't see it. One day your eyes will be open spiritually. And you'll see that when you speak the name of Jesus, demonic forces tremble. When you speak the name of Jesus, demonic forces tremble. God can retrieve. God can revive. God can bring back to life what has been stolen from us. If we ask him. How do we get our faith back? How do we get our joy back? How do we get our strength back? We do it through spending time in the Word of God. Satan wants to destroy us. God wants to give us life. And I have a declaration that I want us to put on the screen. I want everybody to stand up. We're going we're gonna to do some spiritual warfare today. If you need to roll up your sleeves, roll up your sleeves. But here's the declaration. And we're going to say this. Now, you can either say it with authority, or you can say it with a whimpering voice, or you can keep your mouth shut, but there is power in these words that we're about to say. I'm going to lead it to you. I'll try to get out of the way here so that you can read it. All right? But would you say it with me? Because there has been too much stolen from us as believers, and today is payback. Would you pray, say this with me? Lord... I recognize that the enemy has stolen from me, and I want to take action against him. Lord Jesus, you yourself said that the thief has come to only to steal, to kill, and to destroy, but you came to give us life in abundance. I take my stand with you, Jesus, and in your name say to the enemy who is trying to steal from me, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. I am demanding in Jesus' name that he give back what has been taken. My love, my joy, my relationships, my health, my family, I receive it all back by faith right now. Thank you, Lord, for helping me recover what has been stolen in these various areas of my life. I give you the glory and the honor for your redemptive work on my behalf. Amen. There we go. You may be seated. I'm just going to close this in prayer. But you need to know this declaration. Because some of you have been stolen from. And when you say in the power of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, you realize that you're parting the evil. And it has to be brought back. Because even according to the law, when a thief is caught, it has to be repaid sevenfold. Wow, seven times more of my joy back? Praise God, I can handle that. Seven times my health back? I'll be running, so I'll run to church in the morning and run on home, okay? Relationships, love, joy, faith, 
all the things that have been stolen from us, from people that we love, from people that we trusted, from companies that we worked for, from the government that we thought was the best in the world, and things have been stolen. And maybe today you're realizing, I don't have the faith that I used to have. I don't have the joy that I used to have. Pastor, I don't have the love that I used to have. I don't have the peace that I used to have. I've become so focused on myself that I don't even see other people. I'm so hurt and bitter that I don't think I have a kind word for anyone. That's what the enemy has done. He's stolen, stolen, stolen. It's been so subtle, so minute. That if you looked at that first slide, it says day by day, it looks like nothing has changed. But then when you look back, everything is different. With all heads bowed, all eyes closed. There's been something that's been stolen from you. If maybe one of those points was just a little bit more bolded to you about your love, your joy, your first love for Christ, your passion for Christ, your health. Maybe you've been dealing with just consecutive health issues. I want you to, to be praying for that as I lead us all in a very simple prayer. Today is not a prayer of salvation. Today is a prayer of taking back what's been stolen. Opening our eyes to what has been stolen. God, would you open our eyes to what has been stolen? God, would you open our eyes to what has happened to our families? God, as you, would you open our eyes to what has been taken from us? And Lord, we look to you, the author and finisher of our faith. And we know with you all things are possible. So God, would you restore back as we put you first in our lives? As we seek you in your word... Would you restore back the joy, the love, the peace, the health, the strength that has been stolen from us? And would you allow us to see others the way you see them? Would you allow us to look through the eyes of love and not the eyes of hurt and bitterness? Would you allow our words to build up and not tear down? Would you allow us to have your strength when everyone else seems weak? Would you help us, God, to do the right thing when no one else is going that direction? Father, I just speak that over this congregation. I speak this over this church. I speak it over every church that is lifting up the name of Jesus right now. And I thank you, Father God, for opening our eyes to what the enemy has stolen. In Jesus' name we pray. Next week, I have the second part of this message. So if you know somebody who has been going through a lot of this, I want you to invite them. I want you to bring them. Because there's encouragement in the Word of God. There's encouragement in life. So what have we learned today? When we read John 10.10, God is good, Satan is bad. Two folders, right? Would you stand? I'd like to speak a blessing over you as we, we dismiss. I want to thank you all for coming today. And may the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. 
And may the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. So we go now in his peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for coming. We love you so very, very much.